Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Lack of access and equity to receiving a good education has been exacerbated during the last year and a half. The need to address these gaps is more important than ever. In Canada, the Catapult program within the Rideau Hall Foundation is addressing this problem directly. Catapult is a national community building platform that aims to increase equity of learning access in youth across Canada. It does this by channeling resources to community programs, helping them to build know-how, capacity, funding, evaluation framework, partnerships, and infrastructure. To learn more about Catapult and the work they are doing to empower youth to receiving a good education, I'm joined by the person leading Catapult. Ikem Opara is the Director of National Learning Partnerships at the Rideau Hall Foundation and leads the newly created Catapult program. The Rideau Hall Foundation is a nation-building charity that was established to amplify the impact of the Office of the Governor-General. This is a platform to connect people, causes, and organizations, which, while they will exist for different purposes, share a common belief in the commitment to the potential of Canada. Thank you, Ikem, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, King. I'm glad to be here. Before we discuss in more detail about the Catapult program, can you just tell me about the problem that it aims to address? Access to equity in learning has always been an important issue, but during the global pandemic, it has really become a big problem. So can you tell me more about this and what it is that you're trying to address? Thank you. Yeah, what we're trying to address is sort of the, the state of learning and access to learning opportunities and the choices that Canadians have, especially young Canadians, uh, the choices that they have and options available to them to learn. So we know that, you know, across the country, we have, in, in many cases, very good education systems and learning, learning systems across the country. What we also know is that access to those opportunities is not equitable. Uh, there are several barriers that prevent people from being able to take advantage of the resources and the opportunities that that could have been available to them to learn what they want to learn and move from that point of not knowing a thing to knowing a thing. Those barriers vary by, you know, geography, race, language, um, socioeconomic status. There's so many different barriers that, that intersect that make it more challenging for some people to be able to, to have the level of a freedom and comfort in learning spaces as is necessary for them to be able to thrive and and actually get to where they want to get. That in in a nutshell is is the way Catapult sees its role is pushing at those barriers and trying to dismantle them at all levels, working in partnership to create pathways for learners to do what they want to do. The change over the over the course of the pandemic, though, has been not in our philosophy, but in the ways the work has been delivered. The program was being designed and conceptualized during and be- and also before the pandemic. 
but like everybody else, we've had to pivot to do a lot more things virtually to connect with people using more technology than we might have in the past. And it has had both, you know, some challenges, but also some really exciting outcomes and being able to, you know, connect to communities that are geographically further away from our, our offices and where we live in ways that we might not have in the past. And I'll, you know, I'll share some examples of those later and some, some agencies that have been able to do some really interesting things because of a greater freedom now to do things virtually as opposed to having to do them in person. Yes, absolutely. We're talking about inequity and access to learning, but can you give one or two examples of what that means? I mean, in Canada, across Canada, there's a public education system. So let's, for people who may not be very familiar with this space, can you give one or two examples about the type of barriers that people might be facing? Yeah, so an example that I would give is is environment, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I will use, for instance, the now that we are in many cases having to do a lot of our work and even in some cases our learning virtually one barrier that has sort of cut across the country is access to the technology a stable internet connection an internet capable device and even behind that is space yes absolutely you know a, a clear somewhat private space that is comfortable where people can you know settle down for an X number of hours to do work or to learn. It's, and it seems like something, you know, that everybody has access to. We shift to, to that, assuming it for the most part that that was something that everybody could just go home and sit on their respective um, devices. But we know that there are many, many, many learners and families across the country who neither of those things is a given. Mm-hmm, definitely. And that has been globally highlighted that people don't have the same access. And although now the internet connection and the space has been really exacerbated, the problem of having to work at home and learn at home completely. But that was a problem even before. It was something that wasn't quite necessarily as recognized that people go home having to do their work and their homework, and they don't all have the same access and the same peace of mind in order to be able to learn. Yes. So that's important. And what about before the pandemic? What are some, maybe some issues that were unique in Canada in terms of access and equity? Well, one I would also go before the pandemic is being able to connect to a destination when it comes to your learning. So for many of us, you know, we have this notion of what I want to be when I grow up, Mm -hmm. what I want to become in, in the future. In many cases, that is an image that pulls us towards a learning pathway. Yes. Uh, It is an image that either gets formed because we have role models of people that we look forward to, look up to who are in those positions. Across Canada, um, some of the barriers that we see is that many learners do not have, do, do not see themselves represented in the careers that they sometimes aspire to. Mm-hmm. If you don't see what that target is and, you know, uh, have a way to know or to expect that I could be this thing, it's difficult to now set up with some level of confidence, a learning pathway to get you there. So when we talk about, uh, for instance, some of the gaps that we see in, in, in STEM, science, technology, um, engineering, and mathematics for particularly communities of color, black communities, indigenous communities, and women and girls, Part of the barrier has been 
how do I get to a place that I don't know that I would belong? And there is a sense that if we don't address that lack of representation and the motivation to push learners along that path, it is impossible, or at the very least quite challenging to work towards a future that you don't think is possible for you or that you've been told repeatedly through microaggressions or through systemic issues that you don't belong. Absolutely. Well, these are very big and, and global topics. So you're working on this, or you're leading Catapult to address these problems across Canada. You launched in April of 2021. So it's a very young organization. Tell me more about what Catapult is and how you work. So Catapult Canada is a platform powered by the Rideau Hall Foundation. Rideau Hall Foundation is a national charity that is really quite focused on supporting, partnering, and engaging with Canadians to get to the best possible version of ourselves, to build a more kind and caring nation and a more equitable nation. Catapult Canada's place within all that is in learning. It is a multifaceted platform that seeks to channel resources directly to community programs, directly to partners across the country who are doing things at both a a local and sometimes at a systemic level to address these issues of of equity and inequitable access to learning opportunities that that I talked about earlier. There's a number of components to Catapult. One of them is in, is essentially in our network. We're trying to make sure that we amplify and connect the learning from community agencies in Southeastern Ontario with community agencies in the Northern part of the country, across the entire country. I mean, we found in some of the design of a program that while there was really interesting work happening in many different pockets and communities, there often was, wasn't a lot of awareness about what the other was doing. Yes, that is always. It, it's always the case, you know, and sometimes we, we found community partners who were struggling to create something that somebody had already done successfully somewhere else that they could, if they knew about it, replicate or adapt that to their particular community. And, and then, be able to be more effective and efficient in delivering what they want to do with their community. So that's one of the the driving forces for us is creating a network that connects all those people as much as possible together in the learning space. And how do you create that? Like, how are you bringing people together in that way? So part of it is using our our website. So we've designed a, a, a resource sharing hub that is meant to lead with the resources about how you do good work in in dismantling the barriers to learning equity. Built into that is the ability for folks who are using those resources and sharing them to communicate with one another. So if I, for instance, I'm running a project in uh, in Windsor and I have successfully evaluated this project and regardless of how much it was a quote unquote success or not, we wanna encourage people to share the outcome of their work, not just success stories, but the outcome of their work and what they've learned from it. So someone can take the story of what happened in that community project around learning in Windsor and replicate it in in another community in in, in Yarmouth, for instance. That's the goal. And to have those conversations publicly and with one another, facilitated by some of our capacity building offerings uh, with with partners around the country. That's one, uh, one aspect of it. 
Yeah, that's a great one because I mean, challenges is something that often organizations don't really talk about and don't really put out there. They're putting out their success. But in fact, it's the challenges that they go through and what they learned that really helps themselves and others to continue producing good work. And uh, it's extremely valuable. So that's that's a great great thing to and that's have. something we're hoping to normalize as you know as a funder and as a funding partner as well in many cases community agencies who are funded are, are reticent to share what went wrong in their projects with their yes. funders where you know we're quite good at conditioning one another to only tell talk about the most positive sides of our experiences yes. but even in in the other component of catapult which is our our access innovation fund we ask our grantees through their measurement to through our measurement evaluation work to share what what worked and what did not mm, that's um, because our, our intent is really to learn from the journey that they've been on and what impacts they've created in community and so what is the innovation fund you just mentioned it that the other aspect of catapult is the innovation fund yes the access innovation fund is a multi-million dollar fund that provides direct funding to community programs and community agencies to do work in this learning and learning equity space. With generous support from government and a number of uh, private and public philanthropists, we've been able to put together a number of open calls for proposal. Mm -hmm. By the end of this year, we would have made about probably close to 20 20 grants, uh, about $5 million in total in grants awarded by the end of, of, uh, of this year that are spread out across the country doing exactly what I have described at very different levels. Some of them are working directly in schools. Some of them are working outside in community, you know, supporting to create that environment for their beneficiaries who are facing barriers to learning access to get past that and be able to connect to what they want to learn and to build the skills, acquire the talents and mentorship and, you know, build some of the social capital that also supports them to be able to do the work that they like to do. Mm, Wonderful. So you're bringing together a network of organizations who are working to address the issues of access and equity in learning. At the same time, you're also funding the projects. You're helping to fund some of these projects. That's so it's, it's a bit of a holistic bringing together the work that is happening across the country and supporting it. That's fantastic. That's really good. So we were talking, you were mentioning a little bit that you asked the organizations to share their challenges for people to learn from it. So what are the challenges that you notice as being really central to solve these types of problems? What kind of challenges are the big ones that people face or organizations face? One that comes to mind for me is is the way that we resource community organizations to do the work. I I think, yes, obviously, funding is always an issue because no one has access to unlimited funding. But I think one of the things that we default to in many cases is that funding is the solution to just about every problem. One of the, the challenges that we've noted, as I mentioned, is that lack of connectivity, sharing of resources knowledge, experiences. So you might not have to invest in doing something again because somebody else has already done it. Yes. And you can repurpose your time and talent to do something else in a way that is hyper-local and focused to exactly what your community needs. That is one thing that we have seen across, across many, many applications and many projects where there are some things that we know 
many organizations need. And regardless of the fact that somebody has done it elsewhere, it's still a need in this community. Mm -hmm. This capacity building around how to you know, manage your organizations, some of the mechanics and operational aspects of running a charity seem to be cross-cutting capacity building needs across the board. So what we are, we're looking at as we continue to iterate with, with Catapult is how we can invest in building capacity for the sector, capacity for our network uh, of, of Catapult uh, community members so that they're better equipped to address some of the operational things that they have to do, some of the technical things that they need to do in the back end to give them a solid footing to now do community engagement and the sort of, you know, both virtual and in-person sort of face-to-face -face interaction that allows for that work to move forward without being constantly mired in some of the other things that allow the mechanics of their work to function. So do you help them to do that by connecting them to others who have done the same or, and sharing stories? Or how do you help them? That's, that's one way. The one thing that we've singled out to do at this point through the Access Innovation Fund is to focus on monitoring evaluation. Okay. So evaluation, how to monitor your projects, and just as importantly, how to share the story of what has happened is one place that we know that many agencies don't have the time or resource to do properly as well as they'd like to. So you're so, the one offering to do the evaluation, is that it? That's right. So we've okay. built a monitoring and evaluation component into every single grant that we make so that the both the financial and you know the, uh, the labor cost of doing an M&E, a proper monitoring evaluation exercise on your project is completely outsourced to us as the funder. We've engaged a, an evaluation firm to work with our grantees to develop a robust framework for measuring each individual grant Wonderful. and being able to report back to us and to our funders without placing that burden on the grantees. Very good. That's such an important thing, though, isn't it? Because evaluation does often fall to the side, but also even when it doesn't, it doesn't always necessarily measure what the organization wants to know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the questions that are most important for them to answer is not necessarily the ones that the evaluation answers. It's fantastic that you're offering that service of a professional firm to do that because that's huge. That's a huge part of us, the success. Yes. Really good. It's a lot of support and a really fantastic network, it sounds like, of bringing together different organizations and people who are trying to address this important, important topic. So how would someone or an individual or an organization access these resources? How does someone get involved with you if they are doing this type of work? Well, the first thing would be to, to visit us, to come to our website, catapultcanada.ca. A, it's a great start to be able to know what it is that we're doing. As I mentioned about the Access Innovation Fund, we have open calls every so often. We're just in the middle of actually running one right now, and we're reviewing several applications that we receive for funding, and we should be able to fund those by, by very early next year. There will be other rounds of funding in, in the coming quarters, so always you know, connect with us and, and you know, look out for our messages there. Or just reach out to us directly. We have a small but you know quite engaged team here at the Rideau Hall Foundation on our learning team that are constantly connecting and trying to connect with more stakeholders and partners across the country. It is a big task that we don't we don't want to underestimate the the size of 
what we're tackling. And, and we've chosen to take a gradual approach to build those networks across the country to ensure that we're designing something that is not focused only on one part of the country or focused only on one demographic or, or population, yes. right? Uh, and that's why we've taken a very intentional open door policy to be able to connect with anybody who has questions or suggestions about we, how we can better support the work that they're doing at a local level. Okay, great. So they can contact you to get some questions answered and to find out more, of course, but also in your network are the organizations in your network, those who have received funding What's the qualifier to join the network that you're creating? There really is no qualifier. As long as you're working in this space, based in Canada for the most part, working in this space in, in, of learning equity, we want to get as, as big a tent as possible of people who are sharing their experience and knowledge. So we don't replicate some of the attempts, attempts in the past that have been uh, a collection of people who generally do agree about how to do a particular thing and come from a, a small number of, uh, of perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. um, anyone is welcome to come to our website at catapultcanada.ca and sign up to join the resource hub, share a resource or take a resource that you want to use to do some work in your community. That's great. The, the access, what we do with the folks who have applied and received funding from us is they automatically become members of the network. And that, that is just to, because we want to also showcase the work that they're doing in their communities. And like I mentioned, the measurement and evaluation work that will be happening with every grant, every single one of those midterm and end of project reports will be shared through our resource hub. The idea, and, and when we were talking about the design of the project, one of the things that uh, someone mentioned was that it would be great if in a few years we had someone applied to us for funding using one of those reports as sort of the evidence base for the, their approach and, and telling us how they have tweaked something that someone else has done in another part of the country and now applying it to their to their their community the idea is to build on each other exactly and build on each other's work that's that would be fantastic absolutely exactly. well that's great that's a, a really good insight to know of how you can join this network and uh, how people can take part and amplify their work and others so can you tell me about the impact that these projects have had or the network what impact has this network had on the organizations and and maybe if you have some stories about what impact it has had in the community. So it's in it's a little early for us to have very deep impact stories at this point because I mean we launched in April, we had our first uh, round of, of funding in the middle of last year. So those projects are literally just getting off the ground now and starting to work. So the what I can share is the impact of bringing some of those people together already. I think the cross-pollination of ideas and approaches has already started to happen. We had a, a meeting a couple of weeks ago with all of our grantees and also our uh, measurement and evaluation firm. And we were able to get everyone that was awarded a, a catapult grant talking about the ways they felt that they could measure sharing with each other and also with the evaluator how they planned or hoped that the, the measurement measurement evaluation framework would tease out what has worked what they've learned and what they're doing the the impact that i saw there was 
other grantees picking up on what they might have missed in their own evaluation work, other grantees, you know, sharing with their, their you know, fellow cohort members, how about this? How about measuring this? Have you thought of adding this to the evaluation question? And they've shared that with us uh, directly as well. And that has really enriched the quality of the framework that we're building. And I anticipate that by the time we now implement this framework across the grants, it will make for a much more uh, meaningful process mm -hmm. and outcome of evaluation. I'm sure it will. Absolutely. I mean, that those are the key elements of having good evaluation is to be able to, first of all, really talk through what it is that you're trying to do. And I'm sure the organizations themselves maybe even clarified some questions in their own in their own processes as they were work developing the evaluation. So Absolutely. what has been the reaction? I mean, it is a very new organization, but what is the reaction that you have received since launching? Ooh, the reaction has been, it's been, it's been really good. It's been very good. Um, like I said, we're trying not to underestimate the size of what we're trying to do, but also recognizing that the, the Reader Hall Foundation, it has a particular role. We're not designed to do all things. We're fairly small, but you know, well-intentioned and well-connected uh, organization across the country, to, connected to many communities across the country. So the reaction that we've gotten in many cases has been, this is good. This is, this is, these are ways that we can offer you and to, to learn about how you can better connect to our communities. Some of the reaction has come. So in our, for our Access and Innovation Fund, we have a practice of having these feedback calls with folks who we have unfortunately not been able to support in a, in a granting process. And one of the most positive and, and encouraging things that we hear a lot in those calls is how useful it is from the perspective of the applicant who has just been told that they're not getting a grant mm -hmm. to have a frank and open conversation with the funder about why they were not funded and, and to share in detail, you know, what, what was strong about the application, what was not. And, you know, to our level of openness. And, and again, that comes from the fact that with our team is called is a learning portfolio. We're learning how to do this as well. And part of our insistence is that Whatever we learn from reading your application, we will share back to you. Intent is that it prepares that applicant to be in a better position to apply next time to us. That's the part that has to do with us. The larger goal is that it prepares them to be in a better position to tell the story of what they do, whoever they need to share that story with. And you know, the, the very encouraging feedback that we've gotten is that, that that service has been quite useful to community. That is really good. Can you give some tips for for people who would like to submit an application, what are some things that you take away that would be helpful for people to understand? I would say just tell your story. Try as much as possible. I know it is, it's, it's rich for me to say this, being that we're looking at the, fund, uh, the applicants' applications from a funder's perspective. But if you can, as much as possible, treat every application as a two-way street, you're trying to determine whether this is the funder you want involved in your work, and this is the support that you want. As the, at the same time, you're trying to tell the story of what you do and the impacts that you're hoping, hoping to have in community. One of the things that, that I always share in, in those conversations is 
regardless of what we say we want to fund, it's important for you to be able to say what you're doing. I know that there is always a temptation to word what you do in the words of the funder or to describe it in such a way that will be as attractive as possible for the funder. The challenge that I see with that is, is sometimes then you're, you're not speaking your own truth and you're not, you're not sharing exactly what you actually want to do. Remixing it to work for what the funder is hoping to hear or what you think the funder is hoping to hear. And sometimes that is, that is an error. Where that error shows up the most is if, fortunately and unfortunately, you do get funded and the, what you have been funded for is actually not what you want to do or, what, or the way you want to approach the work. That makes it quite challenging um, when, it, when it comes down to it. Right, because you were trying to really be too accommodating to what the funder describes as their desired yes. project rather than describing your own project. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Yeah. Right? I know that there is, and, and I, I understand how this sounds to folks who are applying in, and I am in great need of funds and support and capacity to do the work that is very, very important that they do in community. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to tell the story as it is and be confident in the value of the work that you're doing and the impact that you're having in community. And if, if the funder that you are speaking with or communicating with in that application is unable to fund that, there's several reasons why we might not. It might be lack of alignment with what we want to do. Or it might just be that even though your application was really good, there is that competition for funds and we can only fund so many of them at the time. You mentioned that you really have to treat this application process as a two-way street of what you want to do, but also do you really want to be working with this funder? Yes. What is the danger? I mean, of course, when people are applying for funding, they said, yes, of course, I need the money and I, I'll work with any funder. So what is the danger that you see people falling into that? I mean, one, I guess, is what you just said, that the funding would want to do something different with the program than what you're intending to do with the program. So can you just talk a little bit about the danger that people should be really aware of that the funder also has to be right for them? Capacity is a big one. Sometimes when you are getting into a funder and a grantee relationship, there are certain things that we, we need on the funding side around you know, reporting and the, the, the level of support that you receive aside from the actual cash part of the grant. That has to be right for your organization. You need to also be, be engaged with a funder who you know, philosophically and conceptually there is a significant level of alignment in terms of what you want to do and the ways you want to do things, not just the funds. I think, especially in, in, in the kind of work that we're talking about when we're working in spaces around, uh, around equity and, and inclusion and challenging power structures and, and barriers, right? If you're, if the partner, regardless of whether it's a funder or not, I mean, I, the way I, I, I try to think about funders is that we're partners in doing the work but part of our partnership involves money. I know that, you know, yes, funding is a big part of it. But to me, if the partnership isn't right, the money is not going to solve that. So if there needs to be some sort of alignment with the way the partner engages in the work and the way the partner shows up in, in the room and in conversations with you. If that isn't there, or if you notice as you are writing an application that it is not there, then that's a tough decision that you've got to make is to whether you pursue that because you really quite seriously need the funds to do what you want to do, but how much time and energy do you have to mitigate what might be a misalignment in your partnership ethos? 
Well, that's a really good thing for people to keep in mind and to take away. You're working with organizations who are doing this type of work in their communities and making a difference. Is there something that you've seen across the board with all these different types of organizations? Are there some key things that you take away that you would pass on to anyone who would want to do this type of work in their community? What should they be keeping in mind? I would say that the biggest one is connecting with people, connecting with other agencies, you know, regardless of whether you, I mean, you, you may not know well enough what those agencies do, but being able to connect with them across your community helps to build a strong lattice work of partners that are local to your space, whether it's geographic or thematic or demographic. That's really, really important because there's a lot of filled energy that happens because organization A does not know what organization B does. Yes, definitely. That's a very important point. And that's part of the point of this podcast is also to bring together ideas of different areas of learning, because as you said, there is a lot of disconnect because it spans across a lot of different industries, a lot of different organizations and connecting and sharing is really central to making everyone successful. So that's uh, that's wonderful advice. Well, before we end, I always like to ask my guests uh, if they have a recommendation for something to read or watch that inspires you in this space. What would you recommend? Well, I would recommend a, well, a book that I'm reading right now. It's a book by uh, Janet McGrath. Okay. It's called The, uh, the Kajik Model. And it is the Kajik model toward a theory of Inuktuk knowledge renewal. Just started it. Uh, and it's, it's looking at Inuktuk knowledge and philosophies and ways of strategizing and building, whether it's business or at a community level, and what we can learn from that as, uh, as Southerners in the ways that we engage and, uh, and connect. Wonderful. That sounds like a really great book for anybody outside of Canada can just say the Inuktuk is one of the indigenous. Yes, yes. So the Inuktuk knowledge is drawn from the Inuktuk people of, uh, of northern Canada, which is one of the indigenous communities and indigenous peoples of, of, uh, of Turtle Island. And, you know, I've been spending a bit of time learning uh, about the language and culture and, uh, and community and how that what we can learn from that as as, uh, as guests in this place and uh, how, we, how we sort of show up in, as, in our responsibility as being um, as guests and being part of the experiments that is uh, Canada's, you know, Master of Nations. Wonderful. That sounds like a great, great book and I look forward to reading it. I haven't, uh, I haven't read it yet. So thank you for that. And Ikem, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your work on the Catapult program. And it is really wonderful that you are bringing together organizations who are doing this important work across Canada and sharing tips for everybody to make it a better, more successful program. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Kinga, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you.